an adversary unto thine adversaries. For mine angel shall go before thee and bring thee into the, unto the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. Verse 32. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. And I want to talk this morning. I believe the Lord has, has given me this word. I've been going over it and praying over it and meditating over it and, and giving it back to the Lord. But uh, talking about compromise and God's purpose in his people not compromising. There's a purpose behind it. He's not just this God that takes all the fun out of life and says, no, you can't do that. You know, you're about to do something. You can't do that. You're a Christian. It's not like that at all. The Lord knows uh, what is best. He's loving. He's wonderful. He's kind. He knows what's best for us. And He knows the path, okay, the way that's going to lead to that blessed life. He knows what it is. It's a God-blessed life. And when Jesus says that I am the way, we could stop right there for a minute. We always continue on the way, the truth, and the life. But He is the way. And so He knows... Uh, if we're in Him and we're with Him, we have our eyes on Jesus, we're always going to be in the right spot. You want to know what's the blessed life? You want to know what life, what course to take through life? It's going to be in Christ. Not just in Christ as a believer, but in Christ considering Him. Putting Him first. Keeping our eyes upon Him. Doing what He tells us to do. Stepping where He says to step. Avoiding where He says to avoid. That's going to be the blessed life. He knows what He's talking about. Okay? And He's a good God. And there's a blessed life. There's a God-blessed life. And then there's every other life. Okay? That's really it. There's a life, the God-blessed life, that He lays out for us very clearly and plainly in His Word. He lays it out there for us. And then there's every other life. There's all we like sheep have gone astray. Every Every man turned to his own way. Or there's walking with the Good Shepherd. There's really not a bunch of other choices, is there? There's walking with God in His will. Sometimes we stumble and fall. Sometimes we stray. The Good Shepherd brings us back if we'll allow Him to. But that's still the same path. The path doesn't change. I might stumble and get off of it a little bit. Or start straying off of it. But the path hasn't changed. And Jesus hasn't changed. He's still the way. Okay? And so there's, that's the only two lives that are really out there for man. For mankind, we're created in the image of God. Don't you think this God who created us knows what the blessed life is and how to get us there? And it's not just a destination. It's in Christ. He's the way. And all along the way, He's the way. Certainly, we're going to heaven and we're going to have glorified bodies and it's going to be wonderful and, and Jesus will reign and rule on this earth and we'll reign and rule with Him. That's in the future. It could be closer than we think. But still, between now and then, there's still a blessed life. And it's still in Jesus. Okay? He knows how to uh, get us there. And He knows how to help us walk in it. He provides that life for all that put their faith in Him. And daily that walk with Him. He's such a good God. It's kind. I don't want to just stumble through life. I did that for years of my life. 
wondering what's the right path to take, even as a Christian, stumbling and bumbling around for about four or five years at LSU. Um, and, and I knew better. But the point is, this life is best, and it has to do with an intimate relationship with the Lord. Amen. That's what makes it best. An intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not just all the blessings that He helped me get the job I wanted or get the scholarship I wanted or the, even the spouse I wanted. He can do all those things and He does. What makes it the blessed life is an, it's an intimate relationship with the Lord and walking with Him. His heart beating in our heart. His thoughts, our thoughts. And that's what makes it so special and wonderful. It's what He created man and then redeemed believing men to. That life is to that life. To be that and to walk in that. And it's the only life that's going to bring God glory. It's the only life that's going to honor Him. And y'all, we're not here for ourselves. We had a Creator. He didn't have to create us, okay? He fashioned and formed us. Set us in 2018, this time in which we're living, in the place we're living, brought us to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and it's all for His purpose. It's for His glory. And I'm not here just as the Lone Ranger doing my own thing, and when I get in a bind asking God to help me, or when I really want something big from God or a blessing from God and the favor of God, then I'll ask Him for it. It's, no, it's, that's reversed. You see, I'm here and you and I are here for His glory. And the only life that's going to bring Him glory is the one He talks about here to walk in. And He lays it out for us. And then, like I said, He, he provides it for us through Jesus, through faith in Him. Amen. And any other life that a man can live is not going to honor the Lord. Doesn't mean God doesn't love all men. He does. We know that. But it doesn't honor the Lord. It doesn't glorify the Lord. And there have been times in my life as a Christian, my life didn't honor the Lord. Okay? But we want to cut down on that. You know what I'm saying? We want that to be rare. We want that to be less and less. And that He really receives the full uh, honor and glory through our lives. And we got to be mature in this, y'all. We need to be mindful. We need to step up to the plate, so to speak, and say, this is what He's called me to. I'm not shrinking back from it. I'm not running from it. I'm not trying to avoid it. I'm not trying to find the easy path. You know, sometimes when we've all done it, you try to take the path of least resistance, right? Now, if you're going through the woods or going on a journey or going down a river, I'm all for that. You're trying to get from A to B. Why take the hardest route? Take the easiest route. You're going from here to Pineville, take the easiest route, okay? Uh, but that's but in life, walking with the Lord, the easy life is not the blessed life. It, the blessed life is the blessed life. The life centered in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in accordance to the Word of God. And it is the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer that guides us into all truth, our good shepherd, and it is His Word that leads us into all truth. And so every other influence, y'all, we need to know this. I know you do know it, but think about it. There's the Lord, and then there's a, a billion other influences in, in life. You might boil it down to your own carnal nature, your influence upon yourself. You could boil it down to our adversary, the devil. You could boil it down to worldly people around us. They could be well-meaning people, but they could be wrong. They could love you very much and not know Jesus. And Eric, you really need to do this. 
and they don't know. Every other influence, some intentionally and some unintentionally, are going to try to steer you away from this blessed life that God has. And I'm thankful, and I say it all the time, that it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be very, very simple. We should, can shut all that out, to shove all those other voices, and that would be rude or crude, but look, I'm focusing on this. I'm focusing on the Lord. About to make an investment, about to make a job change, about to uh, ask someone to be your husband or wife, about to whatever it may be in life. I'm not listening to every other influence. I need to hear from my Savior. I need to hear from the Lord. And that's what we do need. If we'll go through life and every decision, rejoicing in that as well. I mean, sometimes you have to pray and fast. The answer doesn't come in the next five seconds. You might have to pray for three months, six months. You know, are you going to do it? Is it worth it to you to receive? I need to hear from God. I need to be led by Him. I need to know Him in His will. And I want His blessings. I don't want to take the next best thing. I want the best thing. And it might not appear the best, but if, if it's God's will for your life, it's the best thing. And so make it simple. I want you to read this. I want you to keep in mind. You say, what does that have to do with Exodus and what we just read? I want you to keep that in mind. Uh, we're going to go back to Israel and what the Lord was dealing with them about. But turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. No, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 10 speaks about Israel. Read verse 6 with me if you would. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. He's speaking about Israel. Okay? So what does he say right here? These things were our examples and they're written for our examples for the specific purpose that we would not lust after what they lusted after. Okay? And then let's keep reading. Verse 11. Now all these things happen unto them, that's Israel, for examples, and they are written for our admonition or our warning upon us, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. We're just going to stop right there. And so, uh, what is that? What we're looking at here, when, when people today, and you've, heard, you've probably heard people, it seems like it's a real big push right now and those that call themselves Christians that to totally disregard and publicly reject the Old Testament as though it's totally irrelevant to us today. That is nothing but the devil. That is nothing but the enemy. The Bible tells me in the New Testament that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable that the man of God may be mature and furnished unto every good work. It's profitable for doctrine and everything. We need the whole Bible. I know I can see where I fit in the Bible, and I'm a New Testament believer. And I'm not under the law of Moses, and I'm not Israel, and I can see that clearly. But we see that by knowing the whole Bible. We need to take the whole counsel of God and walk in it. And the Bible tells us right there is another passage that would reinforce that. These things were written for our admonition, for our warning upon whom the ends of the world are come. We're living in the last days. We're living in the last era, the last age before Christ comes back for his church. Are we going to be, you know, is it going to be today? Some, might some of us die and be with the Lord before the rapture? Yes. 
but we still can tell by looking at the Scriptures where we fit on this timeline. And this is where we fit on the timeline. We're in the last days. Okay? And these things about Israel were written for our warning. So God has something very important and profitable for us. And we better take heed to what happened to Israel. So we start thinking about Israel. And what I just read, and you know the history. How did Israel walk with Jehovah as a whole? I know there was wonderful godly men like Moses and Joshua and Caleb. And you can keep going down the line. But as a whole, how did Israel walk with Jehovah? Did they walk in His ways? Did they keep His commandments? Those commandments that we read in Exodus where He says, uh, you know, don't, don't uh, intermingle with them and so forth. Drive them out completely. Did they esteem His commandments and keep them? Did they trust Him, the Holy One of Israel, who was their God, their deliverer, and their rock? When they did forsake the Lord or disobey the Lord, how did that affect their lives? That's what I want us to think about. When they did disobey God, what were the effects upon their lives? How did God deal with them in their disobedience? Did He cast them off utterly? We all know He did not, right? He did not cast off Israel utterly. He still has a plan, still a plan to this day and a future plan for Israel. We know that and understand that. But did that, let's ask ask this question. uh, When they did not take heed to the Lord and disobeyed what God clearly spoke and He told them, if you obey me, here's what's going to happen. You disobey me here, here's what's going to happen. Though He did not utterly cast them off forever, did their disobedience affect their lives? It did greatly affected their life? Did it bring a lot of heartache into their lives? Did it bring a lot of, of frustration and fear and defeat? And, uh, uh, and they missed out on all these blessings of God that He had for their lives. Was He still the God of Israel? Yes. Did He utter, utterly cast them off and say, I'm not going to be the God of Israel anymore? No, He never did that. But did their sin and disobedience, though He still loved them, did it affect their lives? Absolutely. It affected their lives. As a result of their sin, their disobedience, their compromise, God was still their God. He was still merciful. And yet, they did suffer. There were consequences because of it. The Bible says that He's merciful. He was merciful to them. He's merciful to you and me when we disobey Him. This this is not uh, about His mercy. It's about His blessings and bringing Him honor and walking in a life that pleases the Lord. I just want to read these scriptures because this would apply to us. It would apply to uh, to Israel as well. In, in the Lord's, uh, Jeremiah said in Lamentations, this I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It is, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They were going, Israel was going through a terrible judgment. They were being taken off into captivity at this time. Because of their sin. And yet, Jeremiah kept his eyes on the Lord. He walked with the Lord. He wept for his country. He prophesied to the people. And and he says, I remember this. It's because your compassions fail not. He says, they're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. To the soul that seeketh him. So the Bible tells us that... There are consequences when we disobey the Lord, when we compromise. 
It does not mean that he's unmerciful to us. It doesn't mean that he has totally rejected us and there's no hope of a return or being reconciled. The cross proves that, amen? That there's hope for sinful man to be reconciled and for saved people that have strayed from the Lord in little ways or big ways, there's hope to be restored. But the, the Bible says that we need to be wise and walk in his ways. He has a way laid out for us. We're not wiser than God. We're not smarter than God. And say, well, I've got this Christianity thing and I've got the path I want through life and I think I can make them both work and I'll keep God along and I'll go and do what I want to do and make the right choices. No, you're not. We're we're to submit to Him. We're to yield to Him. The, The Bible says, Solomon said in Proverbs, a wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their sayings, dark sayings. Just listen to one more in Proverbs. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way. That's the one that disobeyed God. And be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them. And the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But listen, whoso hearkeneth unto me, God and wisdom shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. This is what God was trying to tell Israel. I want you to be at peace. I'm bringing you into a promised land. I want you to be free and quiet from the fear of evil. I want you, every man, to dwell safely in his tent and under his vine and have his little vineyard out there and have his children run around his knees and get into bed with them. God wanted this for his people. And he wants this for his people. And yet, he, he knows how to, to get us there. And so he tells us very clearly. He doesn't make it a mystery. He doesn't speak in these dark, deep sayings that no one can figure out. What is, was he telling them in Exodus 32? He says, I'm going to drive out the Hittites and the Parasites, and, and I'm going to drive them all out before you. Just hearken unto me. Don't make leagues with them. Don't make covenants with them. It's going to be a snare to you. Don't worship their gods. Do what I'm telling you to do. Here's the land. It's the promised land. Here are you, a a weak people. I'm going to get you to the promised land. I'll be your strength. I'll drive them out. And you're going to dwell safely there. And here's how it's all going to be. But be sure to do do it the way I'm telling you. That's how it's going to work. If you don't do it the way I tell you or you think you got some other way, here's how it's going to be. And this is what... I don't think it's any different for believers. Although we're not part of the Old Testament covenant. I understand that. We're, we're saved by grace through faith. But still, he lays out in his word, this is the way, walk in it. This is, this is the way to walk in the spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Lord knows what he's talking about. And I want you to read this, our next big passage. And it correlates from, with Exodus. Turn to Psalm 106. Psalm 106. Before we even turn there, you understand that Israel failed in what the Lord gave them to do in Exodus chapter uh, 23 that we're reading. And we'll read, this is later than that. This is a historical account of that now. Psalm 106, let's read just for now, verses 34 and 35. This is very important. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them but were mingled among them, the heathen, and learned their works. All right, let's just stop right there. 
They did not destroy the nations that the Lord told them to. Oh, that's Old Testament stuff. That's Israel. You're trying to put me under the law. No, I'm not. These things were written for our admonition. I'm learning something from this. I'm not an Israelite. I'm not a Hebrew. I'm not coming out of Egypt in slavery. I'm not part of the, the, the law of Moses. But I'm still learning from... They were human beings. They could walk with God or not walk with God. Okay? And we're human beings saved by the grace of God. I'm not even talking about salvation now. I'm talking about your walk with God. I'm talking about a life that's blessed and walking into the fullness of it. There's that life or there's every other life. That's it. And it says they did not destroy the nations whom the Lord told them to destroy them. Okay? And it's just like Saul with the Amalekites. After God had given the Amalekites this long, hundreds of years, I think it might have been like 400 years or more, to, to repent. And they didn't repent. And God said, Saul, I've given them a space to repent. You're going to be my, my spear or my sword, so to speak. Take your army and utterly destroy them. He didn't do that in every single nation they went into. He says kill the children, kill the women, kill the men, kill the animals. This is a judgment of God. Well, Saul did not fulfill it. He didn't keep it. And same here for Israel coming out of the wilderness into the promised land. They did not destroy those nations. They might have subdued them. They might have put them under, make them cut, chop their wood for them and fetch water for them and put them under taxes, some of them, and pay tribute. But they did not do what God told them to do. And y'all, that is just, that's just the pride of man thinking, well, we, we're going to be more compassionate we're not going to do it exactly like God said. Don't people do that? Think we're more compassionate than God or wiser than the Lord? When God told them to destroy these nations, He wasn't suggesting that they do it. Hey, this might be something good for you to try. He, his whole thing was His plan. He brings them out of slavery. He brings them through the wilderness. He's got a promised land they knew nothing about other than what He told them. I'm going to bring you in. There's big enemies there. There's giants there. There's walled cities. I will drive them out before you. Just, just relax. Don't worry about it. Joshua and Caleb laid hold on this by faith. The rest did not. I'm going to drive them out. But when you get there, they're an idolatrous people. They're a sinful people. Not that God didn't love them. He's saying, but you're going to have to destroy them and put them out. Because if not, you make a league with them, compromise with them, they will be a snare to you. He's not suggesting it. He's commanding that to them. Why? Again, as I said at the beginning, is He trying to take all the fun out of life? Is that what our God's all about? No, His presence is fullness of joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. He's all about joy, okay? And, and this is part, this comes from knowing the Lord and walking with the Lord. But He knew if they don't do what I say, and if they compromise and do it the way they think, it's not going to be joyful. There's going to be compromise. There's going to be heartache. And we're going to read more about it. He knows what the result will be from disobedience. God tells us in the New Testament, there's a lot of commands. We've been looking at the last few Sundays. Remember in Ephesians 5, you were one time darkness. Now you're light in the, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Uh, uh, don't be a partaker of the unfruitful works of darkness, but don't fellowship with those, but rather reprove them. Last couple of weeks. Why? Again, his Lord, the Lord just is, is, is no fun. He's just some real strict disciplinarian who never cracks a smile. That's not. He knows that if we do it His way, 
we're going to be blessed. We're going to be joyful. And to do it our way, even as a Christian, what might seem right to us and think is right, but it's not, con- con- I mean, it's not lined up with this, we're going to make a mistake. And he knows it. And so he's telling us ahead of time, don't do that. Here's what will happen if you do do that. And he lays it out there for us, and he laid it very clearly for the Israelites. He said, you're going into a land full of idolaters. You need to drive them out. And they needed to heed what he said. That is an important principle, y'all. He's going to drive them out. But they still needed to fight the good fight of faith, right? So to speak. They needed to pick up their swords and do what they told us. Same for us as New Testament believers. The Lord has won the victory. But he expects you and me to fight the good fight of faith. By faith. By the word of God. By the full armor of God. uh, By prayer. By intercession. He expects us to fight this. You say, well, that's works. No, it's not. It's obedience to the Lord. He saved me and he expects me to cooperate. And so he gives us full victory. What do we come against? We come against the world. We come against our own flesh. We come against Satan. The victory is there. It's a full victory, but he expects me to fight the good fight of faith. And when Israel did not, and they did not, it says right here, they did not cast out those nations. They didn't destroy them. And it led to their downfall. And guess what? You and I can learn from that. I'm not making fun of them. I'm not saying I'm any better than they are. Lord knows how many times I've compromised and refused to obey what the Lord told me. But I don't want to live that way. I don't want to continue to live that way. It led to their downfall. So he's teaching me something through that. And the Bible says that they mingled. Look at verse 35. They were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. And I want to talk about this word mingled for just a minute. It means to inter, intermix, to, to blend, to exchange one for another. So you hear, you hear that this holy people that are really espoused to the Lord, basically. And He's their God. And He chose them and chose to set His name upon them. They're to be a light to the Gentiles and to show how to worship God and walk with God. Other, other nations would see this and actually be envious and say, how do we come to know the Lord? And God had a plan for Gentiles even then, okay, to come in. And yet, they ex- instead they exchanged. <coughs> they intermingled with the heathen and intermixed and blended together. And it says, and they learned their works. They learned their works. Learned means they became accustomed to, expert in. I looked up the word, fully skilled in. So this picture now. God's holy people, they go into the promised land, Hittites, the parasites, all those different sites that were there, and they learned their ways. They became experts in their ways. They became skilled in their ways. What Jesus says to us, take my yoke and learn of me. What did they learn of? They learned the works of the heathen, idolatrous people around them. They learned their ways. They became uh, experts in it. And this failure to obey the Lord, I believe it didn't necessarily happen like uh, in this one fell swoop. I don't believe it happened like in this one big moment, this mingling together with the Canaanites. They probably went in and they did partially, kind of like Saul, they did partially what Saul said. Then they thought maybe they were tired. Maybe they had what they thought was compassion on some of the people instead of hearing from God. And they let them live. 
And they said, you know, that's some attractive people over there. And they got nice and little, oh, what do they have in that building over there? Let's go see that. And, and oh, this is where they worship their gods. You understand what I'm saying? It probably went little by little. I don't think it was one big decision where they stood up one day and said, with this definitive proclamation, said, we're going to disobey God today. We're going to intermingle with the heathen. We're going to worship the idols with the heathen. We're going to do all this. I don't, do you all believe it? I don't believe it took place like that. I believe they compromised. They took their eyes off of the Lord. They forgot His commandments. They left their first love. It can happen. Instead of keeping first things first, they put first things second or third. First things need to be first. That's where they belong. And seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I don't think they said, I'm going to compromise today. I'm going to intermingle with these idolatrous people. I don't think they made a conscious choice. They did make a choice to not do fully what God said. And when you don't do fully what God says, then the other things follow. They're just consequences. I don't have to choose idolatry, but if I choose to walk away from the Lord, guess what? I'm going to end up in something false. Isn't that what the Bible says? They're going to turn their ears from the truth in these last days? Well, that's my choice. I decided I don't want to listen to truth anymore. Somebody can still preach the Bible to me, but I'll pick what I want. You know, we'll twist it a little. We'll make it sound like what I like. They'll turn their ears from the truth. That's a choice. And they will be turned unto fables. Because guess what? That's the result. I turn my ears from truth. All that's left is fables. Okay? If I still want to hear something, it's going to be a fable. So I don't think it's always a conscious choice. But look what happened. They began to serve their gods. Let's read 36 through 39. It's that same psalm. And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed. Listen to this. And when it says sacrificed, it literally means sacrificed. Blood sacrifices. Killed them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters unto devils and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. Do you think the Lord knew this beforehand? Was He trying to take all their fun away? Or was He saying, look, do what I'm telling you to do. Drive them out completely. Here's going to be the result. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works and went a whoring after their own inventions. And I just want to read this from Ezekiel. You don't have to turn there. Ezekiel 16 kind of refers to this as well. Moreover, thou hast taken thy sons and daughters whom thou hast born unto me, the Lord says. Those children were born unto me. And, and these hast thou sacrificed unto them to be devoured. Is this, of thy, if, is this of thy whoredoms a small matter? That thou hast slain my children and delivered them to cause them to pass through the fire for them, for their gods? Think God takes it personally? He takes it personally. And, and He knew what, what the results would be. And I was reading one pastor's commentary and he makes a good point. How could the Hebrews prefer a deity... Okay, these idols of, of Canaan that was actually pleased with the blood of their children being spilled at the hands of their parents. How could they prefer that deity to Jehovah who loved them? It says, I'm going to put you like, hide you under my wings and carry you on eagle's wings and bear you up. And, and they actually preferred those deities that were pleased. We're not, this God, these gods were pleased 
when they would shed their, their blood of their sons and daughters and offer them to these idols. And, and like all, all compromise, y'all, it, it comes in stages. It can move pretty quickly once it starts, but it still comes in stages. And you think about any time in your life, and maybe you haven't, hallelujah if you have not, but you think of any area, time in your life, if there's a season in your life you can look back on as a believer where you, you were away from the Lord and how did you get there and what led to that. And you can come back and you pray you are back. But, but it, there's, it leads to that. There's a path. Just like there's a pathway that God set before us, there's a, there's a path. Anything airing off of that, one or two degrees even, is going to lead to the others. It's not pretty out there. Okay, it's not what God has for his people. And so uh, it happens when we, when we neglect our prayer time. It happens when we, we handle the things of God that should be very valuable and priceless to us and precious. And we handle them loosely or carelessly. You think back, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. You think, well, uh, me and my family, we used to always have this prayer time together. Or me and my spouse used to have this prayer time together. Or me, if you're a single person, I used to. And, and now, uh, the Lord understands, but life's just gotten so busy. You can't even remember the last time you prayed together as a family or a couple. <clears throat> God wants you to get back to that. They're not uh, <clears throat> disconnected. In other words, they have... They have something to do with each other. They're related. Your prayer time, the little things that you think are little in your life, and you start to neglect those, and guess what? You end up some big place, way away. I don't think the Israelites ever in their wildest imagination said, I'm going to be offering my precious little sons and daughters, killing them and putting them in the fire, or causing them to pass through a fire unto these different gods in worship. How do you get from here to there? You get from here to there by disobeying the Lord and thinking you've got it figured out and you've got it a better plan. And, and this was not even in their minds, but they ended up there. So the Lord, it was in his mind. He knew that they could end up there. And so he's warning us and he's guarding us because our hearts can grow cold. These are signs. If you're here this morning and you feel like your heart has grown cold, Clinton used to say, if there was ever a time in your life you were closer to God than you are right now, then you're backslidden. Okay? He can get away with saying stuff like that. Uh, but it, it, it has to do with the direction that you're moving. Not just the destination, but a direction. Are you going closer to the Lord, or are you drifting away from the Lord? And, and that direction is very important. Keeping our eyes on the Lord. Keeping pressing on with Him. And it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore we ought to give, heed, give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, listen, lest at any time we should let them slip. So he's telling believers in Hebrews. That wasn't a gospel message of how to get saved. He's writing to persecuted Hebrew believers. They were true Christians in his day and age. I think Paul wrote it, but whoever the author was, he says we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. We've already heard them. But we need to give more heed to them. More earnest heed. Lest at any time we should let them slip. That means we let to mean slip means to flow by, to carelessly pass by, or to miss. So we come in to worship the Lord this morning. And everybody's tired from the wedding last night. I understand that, but does God still deserve our, our worship? Does he have something for us today? 
Could we come here even today? Could I do it as well? And we just let the things pass by us. It says just to flow by. When it says they slip by like a river. Oh, it just passed by me. It got, got away from me. Then I need to give heed. That's my personal responsibility. Not just to save myself, but, but to, to lay hold on the spiritual food and meat that the Lord's given me. Or the wisdom He's given me. Or the fellowship or the time of worship that He's given me. Or that nugget of wisdom that He's speaking to, to my heart. Or to lay hold on it. Because if I just am like this, an innocent bystander, then it's going to pass by me. But if I reach out and lay hold on it, that's what the Bible says. We don't want it to flow by, to carelessly pass by. And I'm going to be bringing this to a, to a close. Samson, you know the story in Judges. This, God gave him this supernatural strength. Who gave it to him? God gave it to him. Mm-hmm. It was, had to do with his walk with God and his sep- separation unto the Lord specifically, right? He was separated from his mother's wound or was supposed to be as a Nazarite unto the Lord. What, did, did he live that life perfectly? Not at all. Not at all. And he compromised. He laid his head in the lap of the Philistine woman and he awoke and his strength was gone. Think about it. Let me take a little nap right here. Laid his head in the lap of the Philistine woman and when he awoke, his strength was gone. How about that? Did he plan that to be that way? No, but you know what he did? He was careless with them. He let these things slip. If we backtracked, we'd have seen a lot of other things he did. And the Bible lets us see a lot of the other things he did that led to this. And now the Philistines are upon you, Samson. Well, I'll just free myself like before. But he didn't know that the Lord had departed from him. Why didn't he know it? He should have known it. He should have never gotten there. He didn't have to get there. Is there still forgiveness? Yes. Is there still mercy? Is Samson in heaven? I believe so. I believe he repented at the end of his life. The Bible talks about him in Hebrews 11. He's mentioned that hall of faith. Okay. Was this the life that would have been best for him? He lays his head in the lap of the Philistine woman and he awakes and his strength is gone. And it wasn't a definite choice, he said. and said, I'm going to forsake God and lose all my strength. It happened. Compromise weakens our our walk with the Lord. It saps our spiritual energy and it it robs us of discernment. We're not as sharp discerning. Who's of God? What's of God? I'm going to let my kids spend the night at their house. Maybe you shouldn't let your kids spend the night at their house. I'm not saying we need to be uh, you know, nuts about it. I'm saying we have to have discernment. And are we hearing from the Lord? That's all I'm saying about that. Um, it hinders our growth with the Lord. I'm talking about compromise, spiritual compromise. It decreases our effectiveness for Christ. It leads to other sins. And one of the biggest things to me, it mars our testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. doesn't mean we're not still saved. It means it mars our testimony for the Lord. I don't want to mar my test, mar my, or scar uh, or disfigure my testimony for the Lord. I want it to be a life to show here's what God can do in a life. I'm a sinner just like you. I'm weak and pathetic just like you. If you only know the sins I committed in my life and you're sharing that with somebody. But this is an example and you would be an example of what Christ can do in a life when it's fully given to Him. I don't want to mar that testimony. Compromise does that. Compromise is just sin. It might be little by little and it's going to lead to bigger sins. When it says that 
These, these things were a snare to them. That means a noose for catching an animal. That's about what they were acting like. These things will be a snare to you. A trap, a hook, a snare is a, is a, a noose for catching an animal. Satan sets snares for us. And we're not ignorant of his devices, but our God is greater. We don't have to fall into those snares. He sees it way ahead. He see, knows the beginning from the ending. And he tells us, he lets us in on it. Here's what it's going to be like when you get to the promised land. I'm telling you, do what I'm saying. I've got it on the, on the control. Just do what I'm telling you to do. He sees it ahead of time. Satan's laying traps, laying traps for us. The Lord leads us and he warns us by his word, by his spirit. Uh, I want to read this from uh, the pastor I was studying. And we're, we're going to close here, but he said in just a moment, he says, they were commissioned to act as executioners. I'm talking about Israel going into the promised land. As executioners on races condemned for unnatural crimes. Yet through laziness, cowardice, or sinful complacency, they, they put away their sword too soon, much to their danger. It is a great evil with believers that they are not zealous for the total destruction of all sin within and without. And we've talked about it. What if I'm just going to, in my own life, we saw it with Israel in a real physical example. In my own life, yeah, I know I commit this sin. It's there, but it's not that bad a sin. And, and I've kind of found this happy medium with this sin in my life as a Christian. And uh, certainly not as bad as I could be doing and other people. And I've got it under control and I made this little compromise with it. And it's okay. Is that God telling you that? We know it's not. Absolutely. So whatever other voice is telling us that uh, it's not the Lord, we make peace alliances, he says, where we ought to proclaim war. War. We plead our, our, our personalities or our circumstances or some other evil excuse as an apology for being content with partial, partial sanctification, if indeed it is sanctification at all. The measure of our destruction of sin, I thought this was really good, the measure of our destruction of sin is not based upon our inclinations. In other words, I'm bent to this or like it or my personality is more like this. The measure of our destruction of sin is not based upon our inclinations or on the habits of others, but on the Lord's command. We have no warrant for dealing leniently with any sin. So the Israelites, what happened with them? They found evil company and delighted in it. All of us right here today, we could go around a bunch of heathenish people that were kind of cool or they were into something fun or something that we like to do and we could hang out with them, spend time with them tonight, you know, and, and start hanging out with them. This is what Israel did. They found evil company and guess what? They delighted in it. I like this. And they made friends with those whom they should have destroyed. They were ready to attend filthy Canaanite schools. He's put that facetiously. And further educate themselves in the art of iniquity. It was certain they could learn no good thing from people whom the Lord had condemned them to totally destroy. I mean, honestly, what, what good could they learn from them? Nothing. God told them to destroy them, but they learned a lot from them. This too is a grievous but common error among believers. They court worldly company, copy the world's fashions, yet it is their calling to bear witness against these things. None can tell what evil has come from the folly of conformity with the world. 
So they, they fell into spiritual adultery. The compromise led to it. Again, who, who would have thought? I know that they never woke up that day initially and said, I'm going to take my children, my sons and daughters, and I'm going to offer them and kill them to this pagan god. They got there though, didn't they? They actually did that. That's a history of Israel. And I'm going to close by just reading this from the same psalm that we're in, y'all. Psalm 106. Let's read, starting in verse 40. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against His people, insomuch that He abhorred His own inheritance. And He gave them into the hand of the heathen. Now this wasn't like a giving forever. But He would turn them over for 30 years, 50 years. In the case of the Egyptians, 400 years. But He turned them over into the hand of the heathen, and they, that, and they that hated them ruled over them. Is that what God wanted for them? The people that hate you are going to rule over you. It's either that, or it's going to be Jesus, the lover of my soul, ruling over me. Okay? There's not an in-between. There's not another place. It's those that hate you ruling over you, Satan, the God of this world, or it's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ who loves us. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Uh, 44. Nevertheless, the Lord, He regarded their affliction when He heard their cry, and He remembered for them His covenant. And He repented according, or it means He changed His mind, according to the multitude of what? His mercies. I think it's important to see. They did compromise. They did more than compromise. They sinned, disobeyed horribly against the Lord, and they suffered severe consequences against it, against their lives. And yet still, God changed His mind after it went so far. It's like if you punish your own children, you go so far and you stop. You know what I mean? You don't beat them to death. You, 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 you give the punishment or the correction that's fitting in love. And it says, according to His mercies. He made them also to be, uh, to be pitied of all those that carry them captives. It's just an amazing thing. Verse 47, save us, O Lord. Here's a psalmist's prayer. And gather us from among the heathen. Remember, they'd intermingled. Gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. And I want to close with that verse. And think about it. How, how often have godly people found themselves in some spot, they're, they're Christians, they're godly people, but they found themselves, it's almost like you wake up and you say, how did I get here? I'm in a party, I'm in a company of people, and I find myself and I say, how in the world did I get here? These people, this is not me, this is not of God, this is not where I should be. It's Lot waking up in Sodom, okay? First he went in the direction, because the field, the ground looked good for raising cattle, had a lot of water, a wide open plain. He pitched his tent near Sodom. He wasn't in the city with all that uh, fornication, all that stuff going on. He was near it, though, because it looked good. It looked like a pleasant... The next time we see Lot, he's living in the city, inside the walls and the gates of the city. He paid the price for it. He lost his whole family. The angels got him out by the skin of his teeth. They literally had to bring him out when that place was judged and destroyed. He was still a righteous man. He didn't commit all those sins that the Sodomites and everybody were committing. And yet, he suffered greatly for it. How often have God's people found themselves where they shouldn't be? I have before. 
could be for a little one night kind of thing, or it could be a season, or it could be a year, or, or, or something. You find yourself way away from the Lord, and they're saying, Lord, save us. Just like you prayed in Psalm verse 47, save us, O Lord our God, gather us from among the heathen, so we can glorify in your name, and, and thank you and praise you, and he'll do it every time. He'll do it every time, but you know what? We compromise enough. We won't want to call on the Lord. We'll be so dull of hearing and blinded that and spiritually blind, we don't even realize where we are. That's just like Samson falling asleep in the lap of that woman and waking up, and his power was gone. His strength was gone. God, God, we're, uh, we get vexed. The Bible says a lot was vexed by their filthy communication. It grieved him. It's like somebody just. Uh, you know, trying to get some sleep and somebody's poking you all the time. Just tormenting you. You know, drawing a little blood here and there. Just tormenting you all the time. And God's like, I could thump them off of you in a second if you would obey me and do what I'm telling you to do. Shake them off of you. You know? And and we have to call upon the Lord. And so, I just, I don't know um, the specific person or, or reason that God gave me this message today. I think it's for all of us. I think it's for all of us in the day in which we live. There is a great danger in compromise. There is a great danger in compromising. I'm not accusing you of doing it. I'm saying we all can be inclined to that. And it's going to be where we end up other, other than listening to the Lord 100% and fully following the Lord. It's just there's not an in-between. I'm telling you, there's not an in-between. There's this and that. There's following Jesus or there's not following Jesus. Is not following Jesus halfway. You don't find that in the Bible. 90% of the way. Because that means 10% you're compromising, you're sinning, you're disobeying God. And He's telling you don't do that because here's what's over there. You can come and... Y'all, we're just, just making a matter of prayer. I, I pray that uh, you and I, all of us would take just a few moments with the Lord and get our knees before the Lord and you kneel at your chair and make that your altar if you want to or get up and walk around to the back or the front. And begin to call upon the Lord. I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, to lay hold and see what God is dealing with your heart about. Maybe you don't need any uh, further explanation. God has shown you clearly some compromise in your life. Or maybe you, uh, you don't know and you need to pray and have God show you. Maybe it's just a warning. Okay, Maybe it's just a warning for your life and for my life. Because God is so good. He's so merciful, y'all. He wants us to walk in that, that path. That blessed path. And I said there's only two. There's not a million. It's His way or another way. When you look at it that way. So Father, we just come before You. In Jesus' name.